welcome to Tobin Talks. I'm your host for today, Tawana Matiganazo, and this morning we're doing a news recap. First up, we have Jill Brown, news editor, interviewing Kristen Smith, anti-VP advocacy, on the dangers of class group chats and the importance of staying vigilant about academic dishonesty. Okay, yeah, so I'm assuming that you've probably heard some stuff like about, I mean, Telegram and concerns with academic dishonesty. You know what, Jill, if you could fill me on, well, of course, I'm familiar with what Telegram is, and I've heard about cheating in WhatsApp groups and iMessage groups, but I haven't heard how Telegram is different at all, except the fact that it's another option. So maybe you can fill me in on what um, sort of the specifics you've heard are, and I can comment that way. Yeah, um, I mean, I haven't, the one specific that I, I think that the concern with telegram specifically is that it's being used mostly by people the concern that i heard from one of my profs is that it was being used as a white supremacist uh platform oh my goodness yeah i have heard wow wow no i i had no clue okay what did um yeah i guess my main question i guess since i mean it's telegram it's whatsapp it's all that has academic dishonesty been more of an issue well, you know, I don't know if we have the stats for that just yet. Um, the winter term has sort of just begun. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard that it's up from fall term. Um, I haven't heard as many complaints or comes from faculty and any committees I sit on. So that can only lead me to assume that uh, perhaps it is down, because otherwise I would probably still be hearing a lot about this. Um, but, but overall, I don't I think that when it comes to group chats, that's always been a risk. It's been a tool since we moved to online learning that some students do use to commit academic dishonesty. Um, And some students, unfortunately, get sort of caught in the crossfire. So perhaps you're not even using the chat during that time, but you're in a chat that two of your friends are using. So how is someone supposed to know if you weren't sort of privy to seeing uh, those messages that are giving the answers? So uh, Amsu Stance is never against group chats. I think it's a good way to combat social isolation. Of course, when you venture into the territory of white supremacy, racism, misogyny, whatever it is, um, that might... Uh, point to some potential issues, but we've always said that when it comes to um, academic uh, dishonesty, sort of use at your own risk and be smart about it, right? Leave the chat, make sure your admin perhaps turns off the chat, whatever you can do uh, so that you you aren't tempted or you, you aren't caught up in a situation you might uh, rather want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, another concern that I've heard from professors is using their lecture slides and stuff on like sites like Chegg and Course Hero. Oh, you mean students sort of uploading their materials to Course Hero? Right. Like, I guess it's in kind of the same vein as like, I mean, helping each other out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, students need to be aware that not all materials they receive from their professors, slides, um, any sort of handouts, stuff like that is open for them to distribute to other people. The professors might actually own that and it might be um, inappropriate for them to be to be sharing that online. That, to my knowledge, has been happening before COVID. Um, a lot of students will have always put up uh, their essays or their professor's course outlines or slides up on something like Course Hero and gotten payment in return. So that's not a new phenomenon, but it is something that students um, have been caught doing for many years and um, from, from time to time do get in trouble for violating 
uh, copyright or privacy legislation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it comes down to, I think, education, students understanding that it's not an appropriate thing to do. I think professors have a key role to play in that. And I think UMSU does as well. Um, You know, looking at our academic integrity campaign from final season in fall, that's what we try to do there. Didn't so much as venture into the idea of copyright and ownership of uh, any sort of intellectual uh, property or materials, but certainly we did deal with the question of group chats and how you might protect yourself and uphold your um, academic uh, honesty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, right now I'm just kind of looking at emails that I've gotten from professors in my own classes. Um, And another concern that they had was like, Instead of using Telegram, why not just use the UM Learn like discussion boards? You know. Oh, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if professors present that as an option to students, it might become a more palatable option to them. That's not something that I've. I mean, not talking as an UMSU exec, but from a student's point of view, I've never thought of the discussion boards as serving that purpose. Discussion boards to me have always been a place you go when something is assigned. But if maybe professors can play a greater role in demonstrating to students it can be a good tool to battle social isolation or even difficult concepts in the course, I think that would be really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if we've talked about this at all, but um, another concern was that students might be doing this and not knowing that it's part of, that it's academic dishonesty or plagiarism or cheating or any of that. They might not know because of, I mean, the Mm -hmm. different learning situation that we've got right now. Yeah, just just so that I can I can comment accurately. What are you talking about? Um, doing this? Do you mean sending sort I mean, of messages during an assessment? Or yeah, what did you I mean like mean being part of being part of uh, like Telegram chats while assignments are happening, things like that. Yeah, I mean, of course, the online world is uncharted territory for most students. Most students did primarily take in person classes, and they're can be a misunderstanding that occurs uh, when the shift when the shift happened. Um, the university has tried to inform students, and I think that UMSU did as well through that campaign I mentioned earlier. Our message uh, has always been, nothing has changed. Um, all the same rules still apply. If, if an exam is closed book, that means you can't talk to anybody. Um, you, you can't look at your notes, um, you can't consult the internet. And we've also tried through that campaign to clarify what open book means uh, and asked professors as well, uh, sort of a joint effort to clarify what that means to their students. Open book doesn't mean it's free reign on any resource you can get your hands on. Um, usually uh, open book means you can consult your notes and textbook. Sometimes for some professors, it means you can search things up on the internet, but sometimes not. So I think professors need to be more clear on uh, what open book means. And I think students can also ask questions when they are unclear. We've been encouraging students to err on the side of caution at all times and understand that the rules for the most part haven't changed. So if you're doing an open book assessment in class, um, you might ask, does open book mean I can talk to my friend? And then the professor would answer you. Uh, Really virtually you, you can ask all those same clarifying questions and professors should be answering those as well. So it's a, it's a dual effort to make sure everybody is on the same page. Mm-hmm. Up next, we have Kaylin Bell, our arts and culture reporter, interviewing Six Foot Citrus band member Benjamin Hill. On the band's music video produced during the pandemic and on life as a musician, 
during COVID. Can you give me just like a little bit of history on the band? Like, how did you guys start? Yeah. Yeah. Three of us started as a band uh, because we knew each other from high school. Actually, funny enough, we went to Glenmont and we went. We were in your brother's graduating class. Oh no okay. way! <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. And also, my older sister Megan was in your graduating class, which is funny. Okay. Um. So yeah. Anyways, we we met in high school and we uh, we formed a trio and uh, and we had different band name and then when our fourth member joined, we became uh, Six Foot Citrus, and. Uh, I met the fourth member just at the, just going to shows. We met at a Super Duty Tougher concert and uh, just kind of hit it off and started jamming. And he was a good fit with the band. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. And then we just started doing more shows. And what was the inspiration for the band? Did the sound change a lot from when you guys started? Right. Or did you have a pretty clear yeah, idea? I, uh, I had been ready. The reason we started the band was because I had written a bunch of songs and I wanted to play them. I didn't have a band to play with. And they, they played instruments and wanted to be in a band, so it made sense. Um, the initial vision was like to be a, a very folky and we wanted to kind of brand it as groovy, but I definitely wouldn't call it groovy anymore. It's kind of more, it's more like pop music now. Um, we're kind of like, when we got our guitarist, he's hugely influenced by the Beatles and the Beach Boys as I am, so that kind of gets, there's a lot of influence there for like 60s pop, sort of. Right. Sometimes it's kind of like modern bubblegum music, I think. Um, but then we have the exceptions because I guess, well, I, I, I guess when I write in a minor key, it's a lot different. So that's why the sound on Prairie Dog is a lot more, is a lot heavier. Um, so yeah, the sound just kind of became, I guess, folk pop when it was initially just wanted to be like straight ahead folk a lot of string plucking, a lot of acoustic kind of things. It became more electric after we got our fourth member. Right. And had any of you been in a band before? Like, what's the pro what's the songwriting process like for you guys? Yeah, we. whoever writes a song has to sing it. That's kind of the rule. So we've all written, almost all, well, almost all of us have written songs that have been recorded. And, uh, and yeah, that's... Uh, pretty much how we how we do the the songwriting uh, what was your what was your actual question uh what's the yeah just like the songwriting process is it a lot of like mm -hmm. do people come with fully complete songs or is it really collaborative yeah, it's pretty much it's pretty much you write your own song as and get it as complete as possible so that it's easiest when we come together and then everyone just picks an instrument it's we're not always playing the same instruments from song to song and uh and whatever fits best then we just start writing our own parts and uh we'll collaborate on like how things should sound sometimes we'll change the form add a solo section things like that but yeah it's normally like an individual songwriting process some people might throw some ideas out there right is there a, an album in the works or anything right now what are you guys working towards at the moment right now uh, I want to, my plan is to get some very strong demos and apply for a grant for a, I would really like to have a full length album, kind of just for a, just to have a complete package of a sound, um, because we, we, we did an EP and then we did a couple singles and, uh, I think that's kind of, that kind of marks the period there and I would like to, I'd like to kind of pick our favorite songs and, and then work those into an album. Right. So, um... I want to talk about the video. I wasn't able to see it, but I'm stoked to see it. What was the process yeah, like of making a video under COVID restrictions? What was it like? Yeah, 
It was hard. Like we had, we had one person whose job. Well, we had to, a lot of people doing multiple jobs, but we got one person to really check on the on the guidelines and uh, and have that printed out and studied so that we knew exactly what was okay. And uh, and we just followed that as strictly as possible. And we were lucky that we only. I think there was only a dozen of us, and uh, and so with yeah, yeah, restrictions at the time. I think around to fifteen people in a certain space. Because it was October, not I can't entirely remember those details, but yeah, we just had to make sure we kept the, our numbers low and and that we uh, we stayed apart. Um, but we were really lucky to to have like a good enough space where we could we could kind of spread out where we were filming. Was there anything particular about this video that made it feel different from any previous ones you guys have put together? Like, yeah, absolutely. Our our initial we we made a. Uh, a music video, uh, our first one, on a budget of sixty bucks, and that just bought us a penguin costume. <laughs> and we we did it like we did it just with uh, the directors uh, of our recent one did that one as well, and they wrote the, they wrote all the script and stuff for that one. This one, however, was very different because uh, I presented a bit of a storyline to them, and I we were kind of joking at making it very silly and like making it kind of playing it serious but there was a lot of silly aspects and we did keep that uh for example we uh we use our we don't use gun props we use our fingers mm-hmm. to shoot like finger guns and we also don't smoke real cigarettes we have popeyes candy sticks just because we thought it was a funny quirk because that's kind of just like that's kind of how we feel about what we do is just like we're just having fun and being silly but we're trying to do a good job still right so that's kind of like the, the look behind the aesthetic of it but it looks very, it looks very good because we uh we put a bit of our own money into it, a lot more money than last time. We have a budget closer to about eighteen hundred dollars, so a big jump in what we invested. But I think the uh, I think the result was worth it because we were able to hire a really good cinematographer, an amazing costume and set designer person, and that uh, those were the only people we had to hire. The rest was just. Um, yeah, the, the rest was just to pay for costumes and the set we got to use for free. Everything just kind of, we got really lucky on who we found and uh, everything really came together. So this one, like, I, I was very surprised by how it turned out because, you know, I expected to make a joke music video. I thought it was going to be silly and it looked bad, but it looks really good. <laughs> so that's what makes it different for sure. Right. We had the right people and the right sets, the right costumes. And obviously there's like this slightly comedic sort of western theme to it were there any like films or pr- music videos by other artists that really like inspired this idea no not this idea i do i do love i do love like a good music videos that tell like a bit of a story or have like a twist ending so i wanted to just kind of you know i, I just thought what well, what's the most logical thing for a western story you got to have an outlaw you got to have got to have the sheriffs try and track him down so it was very it's a very basic story but i guess the, you're just not expecting the ending maybe mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I didn't really have any inspiration other than just what what i thought would be the most typical western story but we just wanted to do a good job of it and make it exciting and and make it look kind of like make it look fun and just have a good time with it right and uh for younger bands i know Right now, I mean, it's tough for anybody, especially any kind of artist. Has it been yeah. a big adjustment for you guys to not be able to play live? Like, oh, it's how important horrible, is that? Yeah. Like, we, we, 
that's the reason why we we do the band is so we can play live. Like I don't, I'm not huge on studio recordings, and I'm not trying to sell a product big time. I'm really like this is kind of a fun project, and uh, and yeah, the, the the live performance is my favorite part of it. So uh, and also just the rehearsals, like we're really good friends, and we we have such a good time just joking around and playing songs, and the music feels good. Like when I when I write a song and I have this idea. I, I, uh, it feels so good to have it like fleshed out and become a, a like a, a live thing that really has an effect. Like I feel a, like this very magical effect. And when I get to when other people feel that like at a, on a stage setting, oh, that's the best thing ever. So yeah, it's been it's been pretty crappy not getting to, to jam with my buddies. Right. I mean, hopefully things will change sometime in the near yeah, future. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic. Yeah. I think things are gonna be all right. Yeah. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this music video was a great way to get around that because, like, we could, we didn't have to be in a closed space. We could plan it all digitally. You know, we use, we had, we have had many Zoom meetings about this. And, um, yeah, that's, so it, it, we, we, it was, a, it was a good thing that we could work on while we weren't able to actually play music together. Right. And I mean, obviously, it's a pretty big financial undertaking, a lot of time and planning. Are there any other, yeah. videos or ideas like that in the works right now or is it sort of you accomplish no, this one big thing like, uh, yeah this is a, a big thing and we uh it's not like i'm just trying to ride it ride the wave as long as possible of whatever this does because you know i don't i don't know how much attention it will attract which is the exciting part because it's a good product and i think a lot of people would enjoy it i just don't know how many people are going to end up seeing it right. so i'd like as many people to see it as possible but um, even so, like I, I'm always, I'm, I'm kind of addicted to just working on a project that, cause I get so excited about it. So like, I've, and we've got dozens and dozens of songs that we, we all want to record. So I think I kind of want to lay low and work on some really good arrangements for studio recordings. Cause I'm very particular about the way I arrange music sometimes. Like I'm just so inspired by people like, I don't know, Randy Newman and Andy Shaw. Definitely. Like mm-hmm. I love their arrangements and. I want to take my time, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to rush anything. Right. I feel like has, you know, lockdown and being alone all this time and being stuck inside has it had any effect on your creative drive in any way? Is it a positive thing, negative thing? How are you feeling about it? I'm feeling pretty neutral about it because the uh, I'm not. I'm actually not trying to be overly creative right now. I'm. I'm trying to. Uh, to get out what I have created a little bit because I like that stuff and I'm not really trying to make a whole lot more. I don't feel the need to right now. Mm. But I, I kind of like the when a, when it when songs come to me and I don't I don't really sit down to write. I just let them approach me. Um, that's really how I go about it. So, um, and I've got I'm, I'm trying to I'm just trying to you know graduate school and right. just figure out some other stuff. I got I got some other things, some other projects I'm working on for other people. So I'm just trying to keep up right now. I'm not trying to push anything too hard. But come the summer, when when all these deadlines I'm working on right now are done, then I'm gonna really, I'm really looking forward to uh, to planning on uh, to planning an album. That's I think that is the next the next goal. Totally. All right, yeah. we I think I've hit the time. So I thanks so much for talking to me. This was great. I'm yeah, really... yeah, I appreciate you reaching out. And that's it for this week on Token Talks.